Hi there, and welcome to Putting the Squid to Bed, a podcast about creative people and their craft. My name is Tim Lenko. I'm a writer and performer, and on this podcast, I interview creative people about why they create things and how they go about it. The show is named after an image that I have found so helpful. If you're anything like me, you know those moments when you've nearly finished a project, but then you find another touch you could add, another loose end to tie off, or another rough patch that needs ironing out. It's like trying to tuck a squid into bed. Just when you get two or three arms under the covers, another four or five have popped back out. Projects are rarely finished so much as they are surrendered. And that journey of discovery, creation, and surrender is what I ask my guests about. Hello there, and welcome to episode five of Putting the Squid to Bed. In case we haven't met, hi, my name is Tim. This episode is such a treat for me. My guest is someone that I have admired and enjoyed online for a few years, and I'm so grateful to be speaking with her. She's an internationally known stand-up comedian and disability and mental health advocate based in New York City. She lives with Tourette's Syndrome, has navigated pretty serious mental health challenges, and takes what she's discovered in her experience and uses comedy and storytelling to promote inclusion and belonging for individuals with disabilities and mental health struggles. She's collaborated with online personalities like Dr. Mike and the community at BuzzFeed, and she's appeared in the season one finality of uh, finality, <laughs> the season one finale of Netflix's Jewish Matchmaking. Please welcome into your ears Pamela Ray Schuler. Yay! Thanks for having me. Pam, thank you so much for being here. The pleasure is mine. You so made me sound cooler than I am in that intro. So, you know, let's keep people's expectations low. <laughs> it doesn't take very much work to make you sound very cool. <laughs> Pam, where are you calling in from today? I'm in my my mother's kitchen in Ohio. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I had a gig in her hometown two days ago, and I like the amenities at her house. I like that she cooks for me, and I live in New York City, and so I come here to to calm down and and see some grass and trees for a few days. Oh, my goodness. Being able to get out and connect with nature and eat mama's cooking are all so grounding, so, so good. I use her house to be creative. This is where I come to hit the reset and I love get some that. creative work done. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Okay. And that's, that's exactly what I was curious about. What season are you in now in terms of your creation? You're in kind of a reset resting period? Yeah. Uh, I'm in burnout phase a little bit. And so I am really aware of that. So I found a few days where I could, I love New York. New York fills me in a different way. Um, and when I hit burnout, create the creative faucet turns off and that's yeah. a sign that I need to do something about it. So I had a show here and I decided to stay for an extra few days. I booked massages. Mm. My mother has like a screened in patio and my favorite place to write and get creative is that space. So my goal here is to do a little self care and then turn that creative faucet back on. Oh, that's cool. And how often does that cycle happen? How often would you wrap back around to burnout, self-care, turn the faucet back on? There's two months I always hit burnout after because I tour so aggressively through them. Yeah. Um, And so at least twice a year, I hit pretty significant burnout. 
Um, but it's, I usually am able to manage it where I can get it back pretty quickly. So I kind of emotionally prepared to know that like there are two months out of the year where I'm just touring. I'm not going to be creating. And I have something to look forward to where I can't wait in the next few days. Like I'm working on a new keynote. Mm-hmm. I, um, I wrote a book uh, and I'm doing book edits and like letting the, like getting to dive in and have the space to do that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I am excited for your book. Thanks. <laughs> and I'm, I so relate to the, the burnout that comes after a busy season. Um, I, and I relate to it so hard right now. I um, work for a film festival and we just had our film festival the first week of August. And um, coming out of that, I crashed so hard. And um, so went to the lake with family, went water skiing, had a lot of, you know, had mom's cooking. Yeah. It makes such a difference. Yeah. So it does. when um, I'm interested in, in this season, outside of this season, all of it, how do you, um, how do you go about writing? How do you go about turning the faucet on? Is it shotgunning a whole bunch of um, ideas out there and then just iterating, reiterating, reiterating, or is it, uh, does it look differently? Um, it constantly is changing for me. Yeah. I think that's part of the fun for me. I, you know, you mentioned I have Tourette syndrome in your opening and Tourette's affects my creativity Uh in ways I'm still learning about. So sometimes when Tourette's is worse, creativity goes away because I'm just putting every ounce of energy into not being in pain, not being uncomfortable, being able to get sleep. And sometimes Tourette's the pendulum swings and it adds to my creativity in ways I've like never thought possible. And I think I'm still learning about, I'm always kind of figuring out that there's no pattern in my Mm. world, I I guess, is kind Mm. of what I'm getting at. Um, And so I'm always kind of just checking in with myself. I do know there are times I'm really creative. So I tour a lot alone because I'm on the road doing this like one woman show or or keynote speaking, and it's me on stage for an hour and 20 minutes. And so uh, I love riding on airplanes. There's no distractions. I love sitting if, you know, I just was in Arizona and I sat by the pool and I wrote for an hour and a half. And so when I take distractions out of my world, um, if I'm in a good, healthy place, I can often be creative. And for me, creativity is self-care. So when I'm able to pull it in, I, I benefit, Tourette's benefits. Um, but like last year, uh, my Tourette's affects my hands a lot. And my, my tics, that's what they're called, T-I-C-S, not the bugs. Yeah. Um, my tics in my hands were so severe that I, for years I've never been able to use a pencil or pen, but it translated to like, I couldn't even type. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't control the mouse. I tried using voice to text and it just wasn't doing it for me. Yeah. Um, and so I, for a while, like the, the ways I've been creative in the past weren't working for me. So I like launched a YouTube channel and then realized, oh, but I can't edit because my, my hands don't work. So yeah. I had to like then find an editor. So it's constantly reevaluating and getting creative so that I can create. Yeah, that makes sense. And so for you, as you respond to the shifting circumstance, um, the, is the priority uh, finding, okay, what's an outlet. What's a way that I can actually be generating stuff and sharing it? Is yeah. That, yeah. 
Yeah, because it like it changes. Sometimes being on stage is what I'm craving well, yeah. a lot of the time as a yeah. you know a performer. But there are chunks where like I just want to be by an ocean working on I'm writing a sketch right now that I'm so excited about Um, and it's funny and snarky and quirky and has nothing to do with live performance but my brain also knows that I'm going to want to cast it and actually film it at some point um I love writing I love it's yeah and especially with a disorder where I often can't control my body there's a lot of like what's going to work right now what's going to fill the tank right now I'm so uh, glad for you that you've got such a wide range of creative interests so that you're able to uh, go to the different ones as they work right now. And there are a lot of art things I'm really bad at. Like I <laughs> share openly the story of like boarding school was the ones that yeah. were like, we're going to try to help you find what you love. I yeah. am one of the worst artists I've ever met. I okay. can't, they're, it's so bad. Music? Huh. Oh, I'm. it's like cats dying. Cooking? I've almost burned down the house on multiple occasions. So I had to like figure out a lot of like what I can't do. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, you brought up boarding school, and uh, that brings up, uh, you know, the origin of your interest in comedy and finding that this resonated really well for you. I love that story. There's probably people listening who haven't heard it. How did you get into discovering comedy storytelling really worked for you? So I went away to boarding school. Uh, So I was there my freshman year at boarding school and my Tourette's used to be more noticeable than it is now, like more severe. I still have a severe case, but it looked different. And so my Tourette's was loud. I think the media likes us to think that all people with Tourette's are yelling bad words. Right. In reality, most of us are not. I was the lucky one. So I yelled bad words. I <laughs> flailed. I broke bones from Tourette's. I oh. used a wheelchair for a year and a half because I yeah. broke my neck from throwing my head back. But mm. when I got to boarding school, the messaging for so many years had been that I like, that my very presence took away from the world, that I was a nuisance And I got to boarding school so depressed and suicidal, and nobody knew that yet. And I was like, can I use bad language right now? Yes, you can. I was such an asshole because I was like pushing the world away from me as hard as I could. And I think often with young people, we see anger instead of fear and sadness. And so I was like an angry asshole, and I was funny and creative, and it wasn't channeled. And I had so much detention at boarding school, and I shared the story on stage of the day boarding school kind of found out I had nothing about myself that I loved. Mm. And like a moment of me dropping down, like taking the wall away and just letting them into my world a little bit, they, they found out that I truly just had nothing about myself. And they were the ones that put me in therapy, yes, and uh, put me on a journey to find something I loved about myself. And it was through that that I found really comedy and improv, but also playwriting and writing. And I... You know, for years I did slam poetry, which looking back, my poetry was comedy in poetry form. Yeah. Um, and my boarding school had the rule that I love that if it was an art, anything goes. And so, you know, in normal days at boarding school, if I used the word shit, I ended up in detention. Right. But when it was in my art, it was celebrated. And so I one of my favorite poems, I wrote a poem at boarding school called Shit. If I'm, I believe there was a yeah. whole series called Shit. But I found one of them recently and I was like, this was good. Uh, it was about how I like had to clean toilets because yeah. I was such an asshole. And remember with Tourette's, I tick. And yeah. the line was, 
the shitty clock ticks as I tick and clean up shit. And I was like, that's beautiful. (laughs) That is beautiful. Can you say that line again? The shitty clock ticks as I tick and clean up shit. Oh my gosh. And how old were you when you're writing this? Freshman year at boarding school. So ninth grade. Yeah. Yeah. So you were gifted. You were gifted so early and finding an outlet was just like, it unlocked something. Yeah. And to this day, I mean, my, one of my biggest heroes is my English teacher because she was the one that was like in your art, anything goes. She was the one that was driving me to stay. Well, there were two at my school that really stepped up and drove me to poetry competitions. And I got into this like young writers conference at Breadloaf in Vermont. And they like, I remember they like set up rides for me and took me and like, they really went above and beyond to help me find my voice. Awesome. Oh, we love teachers. We love teachers Uh, who are caring for students. And I'm really lucky that early on I had some really bad ones and I talk about those. But as I got older, I found these educators in my world that were transformative. And at my boarding school, almost all of them, I would, I mean, I would do anything for. They were amazing. That's so cool. Are you in touch with any of them still? So many of them. I actually just joined my joined my boarding school's board of trustees. Congratulations. Thanks. I was like, if you're asking me to donate, no. But if you're asking me to help with storytelling for grant writing, yes. Yes, I can do that. I am very yeah. aware of what I do and do not bring to the table. Yeah. I was like, uh, love that you've got donors. I am not one of them. I'll continue giving $25. <laughs> but you've got my time. Oh, that's so good. And is that close to New York? Are you near where they are? Vermont, Burlington, Vermont. Have you been? I haven't been to Vermont. No, I've been to New York, but not Vermont. Burlington, Vermont is the most inclusive. It's just, it's my boarding school is a hippie boarding school, but Burlington, I like to say if Burlington, Vermont had a motto, it would be come as you are, but the weirder, the better. Like, <laughs> sounds like our know, kind of people. Yeah. And boarding school, like, you know, I, when I'm trying to explain it to people, I say that we were all like artsy, weird, outside of the box kids. And mm-hmm. You know, it just was almost like a utopia where you could dress however you want. You could be whoever you want. You could play with identity and pronouns. And all of this was, I'm in my 30s. So this was before I was seeing it in the rest of the country. Yeah. Um, And it made it this place where like you could just be uniquely you. That's cool. I love that. So in all of that that you've described, I'm imagining that if there are educators listening, they've been able to pull out so much uh, encouragement and specific stuff that they can bring to the school this fall um, uh, to their educating. Is there anything else, one or two things, that your educators did with you specifically as a burgeoning artist, as a storyteller, as a comedian, that you're like, these things, these very specific things that a teacher will appreciate, these really helped me flourish and like uh, explore this. Is there anything like that that comes to mind that would be valuable to pass on to the teachers listening? Yeah, not necessarily. Well, yeah, kind of. Yes. I have a story and I won't tell the whole story, but I hated math. I still hate math. And I remember as a kid sitting in math class and Tourette's was always worse in that class because it was hell. And my math teacher was also a musician, still one of the coolest humans I've ever met. 
um, like came to school like in leather and like just was so cool. And he, I remember one day was like, Pammy, you sound like a metronome because my Tourette's was like keeping a beat. And he goes, do you want to write songs about math? And I got so excited about the idea and so did the rest of my class. And we ended up writing and recording an entire album with me sounding like a welcomed accompaniment in the background. Yeah. And that's my first like very clear memory of instead of making me try to fit in, my world just started creating spaces that fit me. Yeah, I love that. And I think that he like used creativity to meet me where I was. Yeah. And that can be so challenging to like, you know, for an exhausted teacher to think creatively on the spot, but boy, the miracle that it offers. I mean, I still remember what we learned in those classes because he engaged me in a way that made sense to me so much so that I love school. I have a few master's degrees. Uh, And in my first graduate program, I paid for it by also teaching. And I would host study halls for like before exams for like intro level psychology and child advocacy. And I taught the way I learned. So we'd make up songs and beats. And like, uh, I remember a professor saying, I know who came to your study halls because they'd be like patting on the desk to the beat that you taught them to remember psych statistics. And it became a like, I started with little tutoring and test prep in a small room. And by the time I finished, they had me in a lecture hall because people from every like group of that intro class were coming to my study halls because you know, I'd have people, I'd do debates and I would do music and like we'd learn the content in a way that my brain works, which is a lot of people learn upside down, backwards, sideways and creatively. That's fabulous. I love that they had to move you to a lecture hall. (laughs) Then they tried to hire me to teach there. Yeah. And you were like, I don't think. I just didn't have capacity. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. There's other things that are a higher priority at the moment as Amazing as that is. <laughs> so you're so busy. You're so, so, so busy. I'm interested in how you, the things that you do to protect space for the rhythms of creativity and art, art and writing in your life. How do you protect it? And what does the process look like inside of that to, to actually generate the things you want to generate? So I have a few thoughts on that, because if I were to say I knew the answer, I'd be lying. (laughs) I think all of us creatives are constantly learning and like evaluating and getting stuck and going through burnout and being like, well, I can't do that again. So I think some of it is I pay attention to that and try to make changes when I can. I know that I can't. I get stuck in like everything needs to be perfect for me to be creative. Is that, you feel that as well? Oh, feel that so strongly. Um, And so pulling out of that and remembering that like, no, like your art can and should be shit and that's okay. You still created. Um, I follow some accounts on Instagram that remind me that like, it's okay if your art is cringe. It's Mm. okay if... People don't like your art. Um, I made a note to myself a few days ago that if everybody likes what I do, I'm not doing it right Mm. because art should bring up some emotion. And if everyone likes it, you're just playing it safe. And Mm. because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings ever, sometimes my brain goes, play it safe. And so that's something I'm constantly grappling with. And one thing I found super helpful is I found 
a life coach that specializes in creativity. And so when I know I want to undertake a big creative project, it's specific, I have a goal, I get stuck in like, well, I can't start until I do this. And I can't do this until I've done this. And I can't do this until I've done this. And then I never start. And so instead, I meet with her and one or two hours, we'll have one or two sessions, and she just works with me to like, no, you're going to start now. And it's okay if the first chapter you write is shit. It's okay if you write an entire bad first draft. Then you can go back and make it great. And so sometimes for me, it's like getting out of the cycle of all or nothing and perfection. And I sometimes need a second human to help me with that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, So the intersection here, so the intersection of your uh, talk on creativity and your health, uh, mental health Mm -hmm. stuff brings to mind a, a TED speaker from, Toronto TED event who was talking about suicidal ideation being like a narrowing of the perspective where it's like all of a sudden we've just got blinders on and we can only see uh, the the thing in front of us and like he compared it to um, I'll find the actual link and put it in the show notes he compared the um, experience to road rage where it was you'd zero in on this one driver that you hate but as you go down the road you're perspective will open up again. But with um, people who are stuck in uh, suicidal ideation, and it can, it, it can go on to, to OCD, it can be in anxiety, it can be anything, you can get stuck there. And as you go down the road, it never broadens out again, it never opens up to see the bigger mm-hmm. picture. And I resonate so much with what you say about like needing another human to speak into the the, the stuckness with perfectionism because another human can open up the perspective a little bit. They can help open up a window and bring it some other light and zoom the lens back to see how it all fits together and that we're not stuck with the one thing, stuck in in the thing that has, has trapped us. And also, I think sometimes artists, I think everyone, we are mean to ourselves. I am mean to myself sometimes. Yeah. I am my biggest critic. And sometimes, you know, little things like someone asked me recently, like, when did you know you were a writer? And I was like, I'm a writer? <laughs> I thought it was just a comedian. St- I didn't know I was a writer. She was like, well, you wrote a book. You've been published. You've been published in other people's books. And I was like, but I'm not a writer. And I thought back to like a boarding school where they were like, you're a writer. And it yeah. sometimes like takes someone else to be like, oh, hey, oh, hey, like just because you're not the best writer doesn't mean you're not a writer. Yeah. And Sometimes a voice of someone who sees you and loves you is really helpful. No kidding. That's cool. I love that. The idea of um, being able to speak, uh, speak life over someone and to call out something beautiful that you see in them. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Turning a corner a little bit to you being a writer and doing the actual work. I'm interested in what it looks like to, so if you manage to get yourself through a shit draft and then you're looking at what you've got there, what does iteration look like? What does it look like for you to dig into that, evaluate what you have and move forward? Some of my process is sitting in it, sitting in the anxiety, sitting in that I don't know the next step. And for years, I think I was really angry that that's part of my process. And Mm -hmm. I've realized it's a process. It's okay that like I wrote the book, I got some feedback on it and I had some decisions to make. 
And I got two different feedback, pieces of feedback from two different lit agents. And I didn't know. I didn't know which one felt right. I didn't know who to listen to. And so I remembered that like, it's okay to sit in the decision and to sit in it. And so I spent a month doing shows and like thinking about this. So every day I'd like be like, okay, today I think I'm going to go in this direction. Today I think I'm going to go in this direction. I have some friends who are great authors. So I asked to connect with them and I said, what did you do when four agents gave you different advice? And you, and they were like, do what feels right to you. Like just because you think someone's an incredible agent doesn't mean they're an incredible agent for you if they don't see your vision. And so slowly in conversations, I started being able to pull out like, who are the voices I don't need? What are the voices yeah. I'm going to listen to? Brene Brown has some great quotes on like, don't take advice from people who are not in the arena. Mm. Um, and so like, I, you know, trying to figure out who's in my arena, who do I want to listen to? And I think I figured it out. And now it's about like sitting down and doing it. And I have a meeting with that creative coach because I now know that I'm ready to do it. And yeah. my brain is going like, where do you start? How, you have to rewrite part of a book. So totally. I need yeah. to like just navigate that and then get going. Awesome. Good for you. I wish I had the answers. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you have the experience of what you've tried and what appears to be working and what you've learned hasn't. Right. I'd like to think no artist has all the answers either. I think we're all like figuring it out as we go because creativity is often feels fleeting. And yeah. as we learn and grow, creativity changes. Yeah. And also, I'm going to say someone who I think thinks they have all the answers, they don't. Yeah. Kate, you don't have to have the answers, but like, I find comedy so interesting. What do you think makes something funny and makes it actually work? I think... I love comedians who get on stage and I feel like I learn something more about them. Yeah. So I love a level of authenticity. Doesn't necessarily think I I've heard comedians who I know are making everything up and I think they're funny, yeah. but like what hits me, what I remember is like that authenticity or, um, comedy about real stuff, hard yeah. stuff. I think that's what hits me of like, Oh my gosh, that person was able to take this awful thing and find, this humor in it. And even if I haven't been through it, like, ah, I can appreciate how amazing that is. And I think that's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of jokes about Tourette's OCD, my height, my dating life. Like I've got a number of big traumas in my world. I have a dead parent. Like yeah. that is all coming into it. And I also don't create art about it until I've done some work to deal with it. So that like, there's like a level of separation. And I think you can tell when someone has gotten on stage and maybe that separation isn't there yet. And it's not quite jokes. It's just kind of storytelling. And I, but I think that's, there's beauty in that too. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. That's where the, um, the, the performing, the presenting is then overlapping with the processing personally. Yeah. I think and we should all like, be in therapy. That's a totally different thing uh, than having processed it and present something yeah. yeah. You know, when I, when I do my like keynote speaking or one woman show, it's storytelling and comedy, yeah. but it's all been processed. So yes. when I'm making the audience cry, there's, I, I'm there like, I'm using theater to like have discovery in the moment, but I've already discovered it. I've already done the work. Yes. Now it's about teaching and, and empowering others. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So thinking about, um, processing it all and then writing and creating comedic and theatrical experiences that draw people into 
uh, experiencing this thing with you. How do you... How do you navigate the idea of something being finished, complete, oh. and ready to share? I think I work really hard to never consider anything finished and to okay. be okay with putting it into the world before it's finished. Please say more about that. I mean, I could take a joke that I've been telling for 10 years and repurpose it and it's yeah. completely new and it was great before and it's also great now. And... So I've kind of let go with the idea that like anything is finished. I'm a work in progress. My art is growing. And it doesn't mean if I if I wait till something's done, I'm never going to put it out in the world. Yeah. So for me, that's huge. And I feel like lots of people are trapped in that. And that's where like the title of the podcast comes from. It's like nothing ever feels finished. But no. man, eventually it's got to be surrendered. I think surrendering and finishing are two different things. Like I, at some point will have this book published. Will I feel like it's done? No. And I might wake up 10 years from now and be like, ugh, I should have done this differently. But in the moment with where I am now, with what I have, there's going to be a moment where I surrender it and put it out into the world. And what are the ways, and again, there's no pressure to have the answer, but from your experience, from what you've been doing, how do you go about sussing out whether it's maybe ready ready to be surrendered, whether it's like good enough, which is a phrase that a lot of people hate, but truly that it's good enough, you're pleased enough with it to surrender it. I think sometimes it's a gut feeling and a leap of faith. Uh-huh. I don't, I think with every, like, you know, I've put new stories on stage that I've never told before, but yeah. I've gone over them in my head and I know that it hits me in the feels. I know that when I tell it to myself, it's something I need to hear. And so, okay, I might not nail the words. I might get tripped up and we're going to put it out into the world and go from there. And I also think so much of it is like to see what the world gives back and then use that to, to grow with it and build on it. And, um, I remind myself that like, I can write a book. I can publish a book. I can then in five years retell that story in a different way if I want to. Yeah. So nothing is, there's not any, like, and I struggled. I just did a TEDx talk and I really struggled with some. Thank you. I feel not the same. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. uh, And so I've laid in bed at night being like, should I pull the talk down? Should I reach out to TEDx and say, let me try it again. Let me do it again. And I'm, I'm kind of letting myself sit in that. Um, and I had this realization that like, I could do it again. I don't have to pull the first one down. Um, so there's like, just because I've put art into the world doesn't mean that's the final product. I can put more out and different. And, um, but that's like constantly there's like a, some uncomfiness in that. And I think some of this is leaning into that. Totally. Tell me, where does that uncomfiness sit? What is it pointing to? And maybe a different way to ask the question is like, what is the threat? Ooh. I think there are, it always feels like a few threats, right? Like one threat is that I regret putting it out into the world because uh-huh. it wasn't as great as it could have been. Yeah. One threat is negative reactions from people. Yeah. 
Um, which is why I remind myself of like, you got to get those, you know, I have a friend who went viral on something and half of the comments were mean. And she was like, yeah, but like I got signed. I'd like all of this happened. I'm now touring. Like it, it doesn't, their mean comments don't mean it. It's not helping you. Totally. They don't Um, sink the shit. Right. They're not in the arena. Um, yeah. So a lot of it is like, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Do you find yeah. that it is, um, cause you know, both of those things that you described were external things like, okay, the thing I put out was not as good as it could have been. And the people outside of me might react badly. Does it also, um, attack your sense of being a good person and being a good artist and being, uh, does it do that too? Not person, not person, okay. but I'm afraid that I will, you know, no longer consider myself a good artist. Yeah. And that's a fear, but I have to remember that like, that's, first of all, that's okay. I think we all, someone said it's the rule of the thirds. Um, Mm. you know, a third of the time you should feel amazing and like you're killing it and that you're great in your game. A third of the time you should feel like good, but you're growing. And a third of a time you should feel like you are nobody, you are shit and you are so bad at this art. And if you're hitting the thirds, you're on the right track. (laughs) Totally. That goes hand in hand with um, what Brene Brown's about, Brene Brown's says. Uh, we we should just make her name a verb. We can Brene Brown yeah. about uh, this mm. or that. Let's <laughs> um, Brene Brown it. Let's Brene Brown it. Okay, so to Brene Brown this, we can talk about FFTs, which is first times, and um, that you know it's entering a space of unknowns and the things we're trying and the things that we're not already super competent at and so they will feel terrible and uh yeah that makes sense if if you're never feeling the third uh of like oh i'm feeling bad at this uh if that's never there which and it could be there for other reasons it could be there because um something else is happening or it's actually a space that you're not well equipped to work in but if it's never there it means you're never in the ffts you're never trying something new you're never pushing yourself. You're never pushing or, yourself. You're never giving an opportunity yeah. to grow. So that makes sense. Truthfully, in my deep, deep down, I hope that it's not actually thirds. I hope that feeling awful is less. <laughs> but. I think I'm okay with it being a third because, like, yeah. if I have a bad show, I was like, well, that's the third. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's sometimes I have a bad show and it's not really bad. I'm just hard on myself. Uh, actually a lot of the time I think that's the case. And I think sometimes being hard on myself isn't helpful. It doesn't serve me, but sometimes being hard on myself gets me to buckle down, to write something new, to take care of myself better so that I can give an audience 110%. Sometimes it's telling me something. Yeah. Are you getting any better at being able to tell whether you've got a good read on the truth or you need another human to come and speak into it? Um, I'm working on that. I did a show this week and I got a standing ovation for a few hundred people. And someone was like, how do you think it went? And I was like, don't ask me. Yeah. Don't ask me. And she was like, you got a standing ovation. I was like, okay, yeah, but I also know what I'm capable of. And it wasn't that. Yeah. (laughs) So I, um, I try really hard to remember how I feel the moment I'm getting off the stage Because that's the truest, where it's like, that was fun. That was a good show. Mm -hmm. Then I go back and replay every time I messed up a word or I skipped a story, and that's when I start doing the spiral. So I've started in my phone. 
I have notes on everything. Oh, yeah. And I've started just reminding myself of like, that was fun. That was a great, like right when I get off stage. So yeah. that way, when I start the artist spiral, I can go back and be like, yeah, there were things you could have done better. And they had no idea. They loved yeah. it. That's fantastic. Jotting it down while it's still fresh and while it's still pure. That's fabulous. And I'm notes are big. I mean, I have a thing in my phone called funny shit and <laughs> I'm writing in it all day, every yeah. day, things I hear and see and experience. And that way, constantly I have ideas for jokes and stories and it's all, it's all there when I have time to like sit down and flesh it out. That's fabulous. Yeah. I've got my own, um, notes, uh, uh, and, um, recordings in my voice app thing. It's what do you call it? Do you have like a folder called something? I have things to write or create. I'm really creative with the title. <laughs> I like yours better. Funny shit. I should, uh, I should make one that's a uh, beautiful shit. Oh yeah. The I like irony beautiful in that. shit as a title. Yeah. That's beautiful. Beautiful that could, shit. That could, be, that, you, that could be your next memoir and it could open with your poem about shit. Oh, uh, <laughs> I like that we're creating together right now. This is right so now. great. <laughs> it's so collaborative. Uh, I'm very excited. I expect to be mentioned in the foreword of the book. Done. Okay. Of beautiful shit. Beautiful shit. <laughs> Oh, Coming man. not soon to a bookstore near you. <laughs> Coming not soon ever, but like hopefully at some point that we're all excited yeah. about. <laughs> man, Pam, this has been such a good conversation. I have so enjoyed spending this time with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me um, and for inviting me to be a part of this. I love thinking about creativity because I think so often yeah. we're thinking about doing it and not the process. Yeah. And so what a breath of fresh air to kind of take a step back. Yeah. Same. I appreciate you entering into that conversation with me. Um, final question for you before we go. Is there something that you that is giving you life these days? A practice or a piece of content or something that's feeding your creative soul? Mm. My creative soul is being fed right now by dogs and outdoor space. Love it. Love it. <laughs> that's so great. Yeah, your mom's patio, riding out on the back. She was ready to kill me because a giant baby pool showed up from an online website that I ordered. Oh. And she was like, someone ordered a baby pool? And I was like, me, for me and the dogs. I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna drink a margarita in a baby pool with dogs in your backyard. And I'm going to need you to be okay with that. I love that for you. <laughs> oh, I just found a new summer dream, a new vacation ideal. <laughs> It is leaning in a little to, you know, it's like one step below, you know, the above ground pool that I really wish I had in her backyard yeah. in Ohio, a baby pool with two massive yellow labs. We'll take it. Absolutely. There's something life giving there. There is. Okay. Enjoy that pool. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to this episode. If you like this conversation, please share it with someone that you think may also enjoy it and leave us a rating wherever you're listening. That honestly helps people like you stumble on something that they may enjoy. You can find me on Instagram at Timothy Lenko and at Timothy Lenko Music. Pam, where can people find you and follow your work? You can find me on Instagram at Pamela Comedy and my website is PamelaComedy.com. And she's also got some great content on uh, YouTube, Pamela Comedy. Thank you again for being here. This was a pleasure. 
And thank you all for listening. Join me again in two weeks and we'll talk with another artist about their craft. Until then, live your life like art that's never finished. Bye.